is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Roger Stone raised the militia because of his involvement with the Proud Boys. You've got Alex Jones, who sort of ran the propaganda effort of all of this, was able to, you know, on his InfoWars program, completely uh, brainwash a whole lot of people in terms of what to believe and how to how to um, buy into the story of Stop the Steal and all of that. And then you had Rudy and Sidney Powell, who were running the, the lie effort. They were doing the legal effort in order to set the lie. But it was Michael Flynn who was recruiting the followers, who really got the followers going through Q. And most people don't really think of Q as being something that was organized out of a Trump advisory position or uh, someone like Michael Flynn, and certainly not part of the, um, the broader intelligence community. But you think differently, uh, Dave. So tell us what you found out about Michael Flynn's involvement in all of this. Yeah, so I think it's important to first kind of, um, you know, set the expectation that we can't prove at this point, you know, what this thing necessarily is. But what we can point to is a lot of evidence that uh, has accumulated over time in terms of what people's specific actions have been and that sort of thing. So, you know, and, you know, I may have my own opinions about what's, what's going on, but in terms of what we can prove, what we started to notice was that, uh, you know, there was a lot of promotion of these kinds of narratives by uh, former military people, especially by Michael Flynn, uh, that he consistently appeared in the center of uh, this narrative about, you know, the digital soldiers and, you know, the, the kinds of narratives that he was pushing about, um, you know, being a patriot for the country and serving and all of this kind of thing, pre preventing the, the country from falling into the wrong hands, creating a lot of fear. Um, and then also, you know, asking people to take this, you know, digital soldiers oath that he did on July 4th uh, of this year. And, um, you know, so he became kind of a fairly central, I would say, folk figure in this, uh, you know, uh, mythology. And then uh, what we started to notice also was that there was a big community of, um, you know, other uh, former intelligence and military people that were basically helping to amplify and launder QAnon and QAnon adjacent narratives that was helping the movement get traction and legitimacy amongst people, um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, out across the country who may or may not have familiarity with um, the ways of Washington. But, you know, when you look at somebody like a William Binney, who used to be like a deputy director at NSA, and you look at his title and you go, well, he seems like he knows what he's talking about. And he starts talking right. about child sex trafficking and adrenochrome and, you know, whatever else, you know, you, you quickly are able to kind of convince people that these are legitimate things. And I think that, you know, having spent a lot of time studying the propaganda channels that have been associated with this effort, what I started to find and what others started to find was that there was a great deal of this kind of legitimizing and laundering effort that was going on. So you had people like Robert David Steele, who, you know, claims to be former CIA. Um, you know, you had a, a very long list of other military people, people like, you know, uh, Tori Maris Lindemann and Patrick Berge and Kevin Shipp, who was at CIA. And all of these people appearing on, you know, kind of uh, pop, you know, YouTube type shows, uh, you know, things like Ann Vandersteel um, and other kinds of Q channels in the matrix, what have you to, um, 
basically amplify and spread these narratives in a way that makes them seem very credible. So you're talking about so, former, former intelligence people, not currently within the intelligence services. Well, you know, yeah, the mostly former people, the people that, you know, are perhaps were more interesting uh, just a few weeks ago were the people that were still in. So people associated with Flynn and with Devin Nunes. So you had, if you recall, you know, when uh, Trump fired Mark Esper and replaced him with Chris Miller and installed uh, Ezra Cohen-Watnick into a position, you know, deputy undersecretary for intelligence, I believe, at the Pentagon, yeah. right. which is something like eight pay grades above what he should be doing. Um, and uh, along with Cash Patel and Anthony Tata, um, and then uh, Michael Ellis, who was put in at NSA, um, you know, those folks were part of this kind of promotion network as well and saying some pretty wild things. And, um, you know, those folks were active. So, you know, one question remains right now is like, who is maybe still active within the military? And do we presently have a security problem um, that might manifest itself sometime in the, in the next few months? Let's take a little moment to listen to what Michael Flynn said about digital soldiers. This was in the short amount of time that he was a national security advisor to Donald Trump. And we have an army, okay, as, a, as a soldier and as a, as, a, uh, as a general, as a retired general, we have an army of digital soldiers. What we are now, what, what we call, I call them, because this was an insurgency, folks. This was run like an insurgency. This was irregular warfare at its finest in politics. That last line is so interesting. I hadn't really listened to it as closely as I did again today. And I was like, this is an insurgency. This is basically an active measure. This is something that, you know, the, the Kremlin would put up. This is what the Kremlin would do in terms of setting up something that to, to disrupt American politics. It would be an insurgency. This is what they describe in Garamas, Garam, 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 Garasimov. Uh, thank you. I can't get that right. Um, the doctrine. <laughs> I'll just call it the yes. doctrine. But the Garasimov doctrine does go into how they would do this kind of stuff, and it would look and feel exactly like what, Don, um, what Michael Flynn is describing there. Right. And I think that it's important to remember, too, Flynn's background of dealing with insurgent situations, you know, in, in the Middle East and, you know, uh, the Balkans, that kind of thing, where, you know, this is somebody that understands how networked warfare works. Mm -hmm. They understand that you can create a kind of networked effect where you may not have a top-down command structure, you know, and you might be able to inject a little bit of energy by putting a message into, say, some mullahs. And the mullahs put out some word about, this is what we're going to do, this is what we should do, and then some people that are followers of the mullahs do it, right? So this is a very similar kind of structure. Now, you know, it doesn't mean that he necessarily was doing that in this case, but there are an awful lot of parallels between those two uh, universes. And, um, you know, I really think that this is something that he understood quite well. When you couple yeah. that with the fact that he left, you know, the NSC, that he was pushed out of DIA, um, that he was relieved of command, you know, uh, this is a guy with a chip on his shoulder to be really frank about it. This is somebody who has been repeatedly kind of denounced by, you know, the institutions and by the, the acting government, as it were, um, and, uh, you know, somebody who might want to exact some revenge at this point and would be a very ripe target for recruitment, you know, by a uh, Russian intelligence service, for example, or possibly others. You know, what he was doing with trying to extradite Fatula Gulen, to Turkey is still, you know, an open question. Um, but at any rate, you know, he, I think, is somebody who could have been radicalized, 
who would also be extremely skilled at managing networked conflict and would be able to manage this kind of distributed army. And he talks about it in very open terms. Like, I think this is one of those things where when somebody tells you what they're about, believe them. <laughs> You know? Absolutely. And of course, there's this picture, you know, which is the event that he attended with Vladimir Putin at his side there. This was the RT Gala. Uh, also there, Jill Stein and, you know, a bunch of other people you might recognize, like Dmitry Peskov, his spokesperson. Now he claims, or his spokesman claimed on his behalf that he didn't even know who he was sitting next to. Obviously, that's complete bullshit. I mean, there's no way that that's true. Um, and, you know, they certainly had enough time for a handshake. Um, so they must have, must have had a little bit of an idea of what he was doing next to him. But this is someone who has been suspected of being an active uh, member of the of the intelligence services of Russia. Um, and he certainly, right. you know, is registered as a, as a FARA agent for at least Turkey and Russia, although not directly for the GRU, obviously. But this is someone who is who's not just a, you know, a a passing by guest at a Putin at a, at a Putin event. This is some this is some real connection that they have there, and he might be doing uh, an operation. And so, you know, it seems to me that if Flynn was responsible for shaping Q, which we think he might be, then he might have been doing it on behalf of the Russians. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's reasonable speculation. Um, I do think it's you know important to specify that it is speculation, but at the same time, uh, you know, he was definitely doing stuff like not disclosing uh, his relationship with Cambridge Analytica. He had a relationship also with Nasser Kazemani um, that he did not disclose, um, and uh, you know, a lot of stuff he was trying to hide that's directly related to this network of, of activity. So I think that um, you know, there's a lot of reason to think that. You know, he certainly, uh, you know, is involved in aspects of this for sure. LB, you've got your own take on this from your own uh, investigation into this world. Uh, what do you think yeah. about uh, QAnon and, and Flynn? Uh, well, I think, I think there's a part of QAnon that doesn't get talked about enough that if we talk about it and we kind of put it front and center, maybe people's where people are, when they are, where they are, like Ezra Cohen Watnick and all these these groups, begins to make sense. And you know, to to run that op, I do think it was an op. Um, I think it was an AR game structure architecture and run as a psyop in order to radicalize people. I'm wondering what databases they had their hands on on top of already having the MAGA stuff. There's such a, uh, and there always has been with MAGA, but there's such a, a real overlap with white, white evangelical Christian community, um, which is basically run uh, by massive databases, uh, all their congregants, uh, just stuff like that I'm really curious about and want to get into because, you know, as as you were saying, it, it, in some, you know, volatile areas in the, in the Middle East, where these PSYOPs have worked is, you know, sort of five core people start coordinating their messaging, putting it out there, and then they have followers and then it spreads from there. This one spread really fast. It was it was like it had an accelerant to it, and I'm just wondering what kind of what was feeding into that architecture, or, or what was that architecture? Uh, what did it have its hands on? These folks that were doing all this and doing this coordinated messaging. So that's one thing I'm very curious about, uh, because it, it keeps hitting home for me too that after the Senate floor was breached by sort of the fools of fools, right? There's the guys that got in there and that were like ruffling, you know, Ted Cruz's Senate desk and the stupid horn guy that, you know, those were clowns. And 
that was not, those weren't, you know, I, I think the other guys who really pay attention to were in other areas. Um, but what did they do at the end of that? They said this prayer mm-hmm. and they had to say this blessing before they left. And what did Sandy say? She saw on December 12th, she she saw them all gathering together. She saw this sort of ritualistic praying. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious about that. I know people are afraid to go there. I don't think we should be afraid to go there. We have a radicalized base of, of, of our citizenry and we need to address it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, when it comes to these key players and where they are, Dave did this amazing thread, which I think finally got through people's brains, Dave. I was so grateful for that thread where you said, okay, let's just list the intelligence officers and the military intelligence officers that are involved in Q. And you just went boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden people could see it. They're like, oh my God, this is military grade propaganda. Well, to, to feed a beast like that, you have to have content, constant content. You have to keep pushing content into that, into that game, into that framework, into that, into the, in the sphere that, that was Q and all the adjuncts of it. And so, you know, when I saw Cohen Watnick go in there and get put in there five pay grades above what he was, I was like, oh shit, he's going to start mining intelligence for content for QAnon. That's literally what I thought on that day. It's like, he's not in there to do whatever people were yeah, saying. Yeah, intel oh, dumps. You know. I'm like, he's looking for content. He's looking because they have to keep feeding this beast until they can sort of shape it and direct it into whatever kinetic act was coming. And now we know what the kinetic act was. Um, so I'm not trying to accuse him of that because I don't want him coming at me. I'm just saying I saw a totally different possibility for Donald's intention and the people around Donald, close to Donald, which still included Mike Flynn at that time, Roger Stone always in his ear, and Alex Jones, God only knows how close they're still talking, right? And it was, you know, here's Bannon's guy going in there. Mm. I didn't like it. I, I thought that we, was I wanna, Can I stop you there? Because I, I think there's a lot you've just asked, and I, I want to hit on this idea yeah. of, the, of the AR game. I mean, I think people need to really understand what that looks and feels like for for people. So you've got innocent people who are just going about their daily lives, somehow being um, either targeted or profiled or attracted into a, a world that sort of radicalizes them fairly slowly. I mean, it's a it's a process of radicalization through gamification by asking all these game like questions on and, and uh, in, in, you know, playing a game with them really is what it's about. Is that is that yeah. how you describe it? Either of you, I don't know if you pick that up. Well, I I have some thoughts on it in terms of, I think that, you know, there's a question I think about intent, like was this designed to be a game or does it just function like one? Mm -hmm. I think the answer might be a little bit of both, honestly. And I think that, you know, something like this could evolve to incorporate um, these game-like elements. But the most important thing isn't so much the, you know, the game dynamics per se, it's about what you know, the friends they meet along the way. It's the social connection and the social radicalization that is so, you know, uh, problematic here. And the game elements to contribute to that. Sometimes you have LARP elements that contribute to that. There's a lot of different ways that people can kind of be sucked into this social vortex. What's a LARP element? So live action role playing. It's basically, you know, pretending to be different characters online and that kind of thing, which sometimes people do as part of, you know, their engagement with these kinds of um, operations. So, you know, it's like there's a lot of different ways that people can be socially 
uh, radicalized and kind of sucked into these vortexes. And whether somebody sat down and designed it purposely and it was all going to operate like clockwork or whether it just happened, I'm, I'm of the belief that it, it could have been an evolutionary thing where like all of this sort of garbage crawling around in the swamp of 4chan, you know, led to a creature that sort of crawled out of it. And then some people said, oh, that creature looks really useful. Let's feed it and let's unleash it onto the world and see where it goes. And I think that that's maybe the closest, you know, sort of uh, guess at what the origin story might have been. But it I sort of doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, you know, it sort of doesn't matter, yeah. like whether it was top down planned or whether it ultimately became co-opted. I do think that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that a lot of people saw the value in something like this and started using yes. it for their own purposes. Using it. That's so. right. That's, but the, but the victim. That go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, but the victims well, are getting brainwashed. What, what, how, how does that, uh, you know, this is the ordinary Americans being attacked uh, by the intentions of a potentially a foreign intelligence service yeah. and having their brains mm -hmm. messed with um, to the point where they're willing to go in and raid the Capitol. I mean, it's it sounds kind of sci-fi world. It doesn't sound real, but it's in fact what's been happening. Well, from my perspective, you know, this is a, a phenomenon rooted in social capital. So I talked a minute ago about the social dynamics of radicalization. And basically what ends up happening is, is you start to, as you go down these rabbit holes and believe these weird things, you start to push your family further away. You start to kind of erode the strong bonds from your family and friends that you've had your whole life. And you start to take on these new bonds with these communities and with people that are online and maybe people that you video chat with or whatever, ever, but they're fairly weak uh, connections that you have with these online communities as where your real world connections are quite strong. But as those, uh, you know, weak uh, online ties start to overwhelm your real identity, which really is rooted in your relationships with other people, um, it can become quite radicalizing to the point where you w are willing to enact you know, violence and that sort of thing, as we saw on January 6th. One thing I think is notable is that a lot of people that got sucked into QAnon kind of just as quickly came out of it. Now, this is for the people that did come out. You know, they kind of went, whoa, what happened to me? You know, like I lost my entire identity. I was really overwhelmed by what happened. And these, you know, victims really are, uh, you know, falling victim to this kind of social radicalization. So the the cure is kind of multifold, but I think it, it has to be rooted in this idea of social relationships that mm -hmm. we need to basically, uh, you know, start eliminating some of these online fake relationships and replacing them again with the real relationships that actually make us who we are as humans. So our family and our close friends and, and that kind of thing. Um, and that's a an, you know a really difficult thing to kind of do. I mean, it's it's people talk about deprogramming people from cults and stuff like that, but really what that process is all about is this same thing of restoring uh, strong social ties. So you know that's sort of how you fix it in terms of how to prevent it from happening in the first place. The first thing I think we need to do is recognize that stuff like this is real and that it's very dangerous. And then the other thing we need to do is to figure out how to make our population less vulnerable so that we are more connected across these exploitable divides. So if you think about, if you were Russia and you wanted to attack the United States population based on social weaknesses, you know, you look at urban versus rural, you look at race, you look at, uh, you know, rich versus poor, you know, there's just so many wide open vulnerabilities that are so freaking obvious that a, an adversary could yeah. choose to attack and they could do it really inexpensively as well, because we have just this wide open thing where you can inject information into our bloodstream and we react to it and we get all hyper and, you know, 
and then then you're off to the races. So I think that um, you know a lot of this is thinking about in 20 years what do we want the American population to look like in terms of our connections across those exploitable divisions, and how do we reach that? My opinion is you might employ something like national service, and incre increase the size and scale of stuff like that. Um, but you know I think there's a lot of other things we could do too, including fixing platforms to make them work better, etc. So anyway, that's my one of the, one of the things that on may that. be interesting here. Is to, and I, I'll be having forgotten the other parts of your question is just to roll some tape that Sandy gave us from earlier on. Um, you know, she, during her, her shooting at these various events, she came across a few Q people and she asked them what she thought that they were, if they could explain Q to her. And this is some of the reactions. I think it's really interesting to, to get, you know, to get a sense of what they really are like. Q. Q is the 17th letter of the alphabet. It is Gemetria, which is a language I've never even heard of, but is used a lot for people with power, we'll say, whoever those people might be. And it's the most simple language you can imagine. All you do is you take the alphabet and you add a letter. So A is one, B is two, C is three, D would be four. So Q is 17. That's important because that's a way you can learn. These posts, we've had over 3,500 posts by this group of what I believe to be military intel close to the president who created a backdoor sort of um, digital grassroots way of educating patriots by just simply asking them questions. All QAnon, all of us, KMP Jr. is alive and he's waiting to come out and hide because they tried to kill him. What did they say? Q Are you a baby? Q websites, Q drops, and we dissect them. And it's really just a military intel who tells you to think for yourself, follow all of the threads, the past ones and the present ones, and figure it out and look up the truth. And you can find it for yourself. That's not a cult. Somebody that tells you to think for yourself isn't a cult. So quite a spectrum there, but they all seem to have, you know, it's almost cult-like zeal in their eyes. I mean, they really do feel like they're just in, in, a, in a different world and sort of brainwashed. You can sort of get that sense out of them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It, it reaches women uh, very effectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, there are a couple of events that happened in the evolution of the, the Q radicalization that in terms of, uh, uh, of how I think what you're saying, Dave, earlier is so important. Of, there's, there's an opportunistic thing around uh, the folks that were pushing this, right, and feeding it, like Flynn having his whole family take a, an oath, right? And so it's not like they everything's pre-planned. Again, there is a need for content. Um, but when you have an event like Brett Kavanaugh was a really polarizing event um, that could be, you know, you had some of the actors around all that, turning that into, you know, we had to sort of protect Brett. And, and so that was something that engaged women too, because it was like, think of your sons. And there was just overall propaganda on, around Kavanaugh with all of these operatives. And so I saw at that time, a lot of people starting to sort of share stuff because they were all of a sudden questioning everything, right? And then you had also Jeffrey Epstein's death. 
And that was like explosive. If you were watching it, it was just all of a sudden, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, became part of this whole thing because it involved, they could evoke Hillary Clinton, who was always at, and the Clintons were always at the core of Q in some way, right? And this is another thing that I think that for the, you know, I think Michael Flynn, I, I definitely think he's, you know, work, not working for us. He's been working for others for a while, but he's also a kook and he's a loon and he's angry. He's angry. He blames Hillary Clinton for his sort of fall from grace instead of himself. And he's vengeful. And so this is a perfect cue. The Q community is perfect for him. Um, and mm -hmm. he probably is the one who invented that oath because he knows how to invent oaths. I mean, I, God only knows how deep this guy is in the content itself that's at the core of Q. But when you had that Jeffrey Epstein death, boy, did they jump on that. I mean, it was that Absolutely. was just like, it, it, right? And then you had the circumstance of COVID. Then you had this sort of everyone's inside. We're shut off from our social connections anyway. And it just, it, that was another thing that just a bigger event, more long-term event, but boy, was that capitalized on. You had a lot of anti-vax coming in then, right? With like, -masks it was well. just anti-masks, anti-science. All of a sudden the anti-science left was showing up mm -hmm. inside QAnon and they were all over the place. So it's, it has been this thing that's been evolving. It has been this thing that's been opportunistic, but it's also had a driving engine to it the whole time. Uh, feeding that content and connecting the people and bringing in these other groups, right? To sort of target and radicalize, 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 and always connecting everything back to Donald Trump. The savior, Donald Trump, is going to save us all, right? So it was bonding people to him. And that's so important. Um, we, we forget about this. We just talk about it as this cult. But we never talk about the intention of it was to bond them to And it's again that creation of social capital, the building of social capital yeah. to each other and then towards Trump and also ancillarily to Flynn. One thing I was talking to yeah. a, a reporter uh, earlier this week about was um, the idea that um, Q implies a top-down organizational structure. It basically says, oh, you know, there's this guy who knows everything and he's putting out these drops and these other people that are spreading it and whatever. That is almost the ultimate misdirection for this because it's not a top-down organizational structure. It's networked warfare. Mm -hmm. So what's happened is that because the narrative that was spread by news organizations was that this was some sort of shadowy figure who was either real or not real, whatever. Maybe he exists, maybe he doesn't. It was, it was the same kind of misdirection that was used with Guccifer 2.0 that turned out to be a yeah. GRU military unit. Um, you had yeah. this like projection of everybody's mental map of what this thing was onto this imaginary character when in fact yeah. it was this networked model. And if you think about how DC works, DC is all about hierarchy and top-down and org charts. This thing defies org charts. It's a network, okay? You can poke it on the side and something else pops out on the other side. And, you know, like that is totally anathema to how Washington thinks and it's anathema to how journalists think about organized, uh, you know, how to cover a, an organization. Um, so I think yeah. that's been another very successful factor is that it just, it, it's been a big misdirection about what the thing actually is right from the beginning and that's helped it to avoid detection. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.